Well, um, just lovely to hear that song earlier on. Um, the third song that we were singing today just links in very well with what we're going to talk about today. It says, and lead me in your love to those around me. We're going to be speaking today about the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ for people, people he was with, people he was present with. And uh, we're going to find that in Mark chapter 8, verses 1 to 13. Mark chapter 8, verses 1 to 13. And we'll read uh, those verses before we begin. Let me pray for us while you're finding the passage. Thank you, Lord, for another Lord's Day. Thank you for the wonderful setup that we have in our culture and nation in which we can easily set this time apart and come and meet together as a body to worship you, to mix with each other, to build each other up, pray for each other, tell each other stories about what you've done, sing songs to you, and hear from your word. We pray that all of these things will happen today in a wonderful package that will just launch us into a new week full of enthusiasm for you and for your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, verse 1 of chapter 8. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people, and they have already been with me three days and have had nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present, and having sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for this word. So um, if you're even are a, a slight scholar of the Bible, you will know that there are two stories about feeding lots of people in the Bible. And one of them appears in all the four Gospels. And here we have a second story of feeding a lot of people. And people have asked questions down through the years. Why did Matthew and Mark include these two miracles, um, two miracles of the same kind? After all, Jesus had fed 5,000 already. Why would he tell a story that feeds a lesser number? You know, like you usually want to build up to something, don't you? Here we see Jesus kind of going down with the numbers. Maybe if there was another story, there would only be 2,000. Why is this story included? It seems odd. And especially in those days when ink and paper or parchment were very, very expensive, why would Mark waste parchment on a similar story? Well, if you uh, know anything about estate agencies and uh, businesses 
and things like that. And there are a few state agents or ex-state agents here today. You will know that people always use that phrase, location, location, location. Location is everything. Isn't that right? So important where you buy a house or where you set up your business. So often we hear of people setting up businesses in hidden streets and corners and before long it's gone. It's the business is finished because no one can see it. And in this uh, question, why did Jesus or why did Mark include two stories that are similar? It's about location. We'll have a look at that now. Um, it has to do with what the Syrophoenician woman said back in chapter 7. Um, remember verse, chapter 7, verse 27, it says there, First let the children eat all they want, Jesus told her, for it is not right to give the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. The lady replied in, in, in chapter 28, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's breadcrumbs. You see, what we're talking about here is not actually um, about bread and about fish. It's about the gospel. And the location of the first story, the 5,000, was in a Jewish place called Bethsaida. The location of the second story, the feeding of the 4,000, is in a Gentile place called the Decapolis. And in keeping with the order of things in the gospel, that the gospel will come to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles, these stories follow that sequence. And that is very, very important to note. The first location is, is Bethsaida. And although Mark doesn't tell us that it's Bethsaida, Luke does. And you know, do you know what Bethsaida means in Hebrew? Uh, it means house of fish. <laughs> uh, it might have been a smelly village. I came from a village that was notorious for its very bad fishy smell. We had many fish factories, and uh, they didn't have much um, health and safety in those days, and they just let the smell come over the land. It was terrible. But the, the place where Jesus conducted the feeding of the 5,000 was in the house of fish. Bethlehem is the house of bread. Always remember that. Bethlehem, house of bread. Bethsaida, house of fish. Anything in Hebrew that has B-E-T-H in it is about houses. So the importance there is that the gospel has been given first to the Jews and secondly to the Gentiles. And we also see in the numbers in the stories that they relate to the Jews, because um, there were um, five books in the books of Moses. There were 5,000 people. There were 12 baskets of scraps taken up, and there were 12 tribes of Israel. And so this relates to the Jews. And it isn't keeping also that Paul writes in, first, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, and we were studying this in our home group during the week. This was our only verse that we were able to touch on Thursday night, Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So you see, Paul is keeping in line with Jesus here in the order of things. Also, when Jesus was feeding the 5,000, he was primarily looking at spiritual need. He looked at the people who were Jewish and he said, they are like sheep without a shepherd. Who is the shepherd of Israel? Jesus is the shepherd of Israel. He's the good shepherd. And he was feeding them materially, yes, but his heart was longing to feed them spiritually. And when we come to the second location where we are today in the Decapolis, we see that there were 4,000 people there. 
And the, the number uh, seven features strongly in this feeding. And seven speaks of completion. And it speaks of the number of days that God took to create the world and to rest. And this feeding is symbolic of spiritual life and sustenance of bread being given to Jews and Gentiles alike by the person who called himself the bread of life. And uh, we saw in recent weeks as we studied through the book of Mark that the bread that Jesus was offering people sometimes took the form of deliverance from evil spirits, as it was in the case of the Syrophoenician woman. Um, She wanted some bread from the table of the Lord. What kind of bread did she get? She got healing, uh, deliverance rather, for her daughter. Then last week we were looking at the deaf and mute man. What kind of bread did he receive? He received uh, healing from his deafness and muteness. And then, of course, way early on, we saw that the bread that Jesus was giving was forgiveness of sin. And as we go on into Mark, we will see also that it's deliverance from damnation and judgment and hell. And this is all the bread of the gospel, which is symbolically represented in both of these stories, the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. So the difference in these stories is about location and who the audience was who received the, the bread. And that is one of the reasons I believe that at the very end of the Gospel of Mark, we have this amazing verse in chapter 16, verse 15, where Jesus said to the disciples, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So Mark was really setting the the, the scene, preparing for this beautiful crescendo in the last chapter where he sends... Jesus sends the people out into the world to preach to Jews and Gentiles alike in the gospel. Well, let's have a look at today's text and see what the Holy Spirit is going to teach us about the wonderful acts of Jesus. I I love verse 2. In verse 2, we have this phrase where Jesus says, I have compassion for these people. And these words tell us so much about, about Jesus. Um, I'm sure you've heard, all right, Tom talked about this word compassion earlier on in, in, in the series. He talked about it coming from the bowels. and uh, Splagma, is that the, the right word, Tom? Splankna. There you go. Well, I didn't remember it correctly, but almost. It almost sounds like something to do with the guts, that word. And um, that's where it's coming from. <laughs> you, somebody must have got a joke where I didn't intend it. Um, <laughs> But that's all right. Um, Where am I? Uh, Jesus said, I have compassion for these people. And and we have the word compassion, which is coming from Latin. And there's two words in Latin. It's com and passion, or passion. And these two words actually mean with and suffering. We tend to think of passion as something else today, like more like love. But the roots of the word passion are actually suffering. That's why the film was called The Passion of Christ, It's all about his suffering. And um, Jesus was suffering with these people. And as we go into our talk today, you'll see why that is so. Remember our theme, our subtitle for the theme in Mark actually doesn't come from the book of Mark at all. It comes from the book of 1 John and and chapter 2, verse 6, where it says, whoever claims to live in him or in Christ must walk as Jesus did. If Jesus walked around in his day with a heart 
full of compassion for people, then what do we have to do? We have to, if we claim to be in him, we have to walk around as well with a heart full of compassion. And I want us to stop here for a little point, a little time, and think about this um, almost obligation upon us. If we want to, uh, if we claim to live in Christ, then we must walk as Jesus did. I wanted to ask this question. Do I have a heart of compassion for people around me? Do I have a heart of compassion for people around me? So let's all say that out loud. Do I have a heart of compassion for the people around me? So what is my answer? What is your answer? You will know what your answer is, or you may think you know what your answer is, but I I would encourage all of us to take that question home today and, and dwell on it. Do I have a heart of compassion for the people around me? And we, we need to have a look at Jesus' heart of compassion and what it looked like. In chapter 7, verse 37, uh, last week we, we read that um, people were overwhelmed with amazement because he has done everything well. And that would imply that Jesus had been doing many, many wonderful, benevolent miracles around that area. And he'd been reaching out to people full of compassion. And so they could say, he's done everything well. But let's have a look at the text that we have today and see what's on the surface there. And one of the things that I noticed was that Jesus' compassion was fueled by accurate information. And do you know how that accurate information was gathered? It was gathered by being with the people. It was gathered by being with the people. We cannot have compassion if we don't have accurate information, I think. And we can't have accurate information unless we're present, I believe. We can't really verify it unless we're present. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have had nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. So Jesus was stating facts here, which he hadn't to be told because he knew it. He was there with them. He had stayed with them. And you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if he hadn't eaten for three days either. It doesn't say it here in the text, but there is a pretty good uh, probability that he wasn't feeding his face while these people were starving. Because we know that he, he always told us to, to give what we have to others. He would have probably given the bite out of his mouth to someone who was hungry. And so we can see what compassion meant for Jesus He was hungry too, I guess. He was feeling it right down deep within. And so he had the accurate information. He had the presence. And together these two things stimulated his compassion towards the people. And I think uh, uh, that's something that we need also. If we find ourselves very isolated from uh, society in any way, which I often do, I think we need to get out there and be with the people, and to sense where the needs are. I know that we also get bombarded, and uh, I don't want to be derogatory with that term, but we get bombarded with emails and letters from charitable organizations um, asking for help. There's just so much need out there. And if you're not receiving anything like that, I would encourage you to sign up to 
some of those um, wonderful charities that are out there and receive some of that accurate information to stimulate your compassion. But what I'm mostly thinking about today is um, presence, our presence in certain areas and among certain people which will stimulate compassion and our reaching out towards them. We won't really understand people's suffering if we hide ourselves away. Jesus didn't. He was right there in the middle of them. And I'm speaking uh, up until this point to individuals, but then what is our responsibility corporately as a church to the needs of the people out there as well? I know that many churches today are uh, getting into works of, of charity and things like that. And I know that back historically in the Protestant movement around about the 50s and all, they got seriously, especially in the liberal Protestant movement, they got into works of charity and social justice and then they forgot about the gospel. We need to hold these things in uh, close tension. The, the social um, responsibility of the believer in the church and also the absolute responsibility of delivering the, the gospel in its purity to people out there. And that, that's a question for us corporately and individually. And um, so we need to ask the question, for what people are we talking about here um, in terms of feeling compassion for? What people are we talking about? And I think this, the, the question is very simply answered by but not completely, but immediately by saying, it's the people that I am present with now or tomorrow or the next day. The people that I'm present with. Jesus did that. He had compassion upon the people he was present with. And uh, I want to encourage us all to consider how we might be present with different kinds of people other than we are present now with Another question, do you think was Jesus' compassion for these people stoked by their spiritual hunger and their spiritual need? Well, I think that the very fact that these people were around Jesus for three solid days without having anything to eat indicates to me that they had a hunger for something other than that meager picnic that he presented to them at the very end of the time. There is no indication that Jesus was uh, on the morning of the first day, multiplying bread, and the afternoon of the first day, multiplying bread, and so giving them three meals, was there? There's no indication of that. In fact, we can be pretty sure we know that did not happen because he said they have not eaten. So what was the attraction for these people to stay with Jesus in a deserted place for three solid days? Would you or would I stay in a deserted place with someone who had no um, benefit to us for three solid days. Would you? Would you stay half a day if you weren't going to receive something? I don't think we would. We're selfish people. We'd probably be off. Uh, we'd say, I'm out of here because I've got something to do. Usually that would be our excuse. I've got something to do. But these people set aside everything they had to do, their, their chores, their, just their life. They set it aside for three days to receive something better than bread. And, and they stayed there. And I, I believe that Jesus' compassion for them was stimulated by the fact that they did do that, that they hung around waiting to hear every word that came from his mouth. Uh, the Bible doesn't say he uh, did many miracles, but um, they were waiting for something more than that picnic. Uh, 
And I believe that that stimulated Jesus' compassion. And I, I, I do note in my own life that when I see someone who's responsive to the gospel, um, the compassion wells up for that person. You want to spend time with them, you want to invest time in, with them and teach them from the, the Bible. But, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the, um, already about the fact that this is a parable, in a sense, of the gospel. The bread is the gospel. Setting that aside for a moment, what Jesus did was a genuine, warm-hearted gesture to meet the physical needs of these people. That's right there on the surface. This man is our master. Let's take a leaf out of his book and see what we can do for the people who are needy around us. Might be food. You know, um, I have a friend over in uh, Donville, uh, Pastor Phil Linden. I don't know if you've heard of him, but their church, Vantage Point Church, feeds in Donville, 170 families, uh, and Lily Dale, they've got a campus out there, 170 families every fortnight. Now, would you think that in an affluent uh, suburb like Donville, you would have hungry people? Y- you would think not. I mean, you just, if you just flew over it in a helicopter, you'd think swimming pools, mansions, um, beautiful place. There can't be poverty or hunger there. You'd be wrong. And I'd say that in this suburb of Eltham, you'll also find poverty and hunger. Jesus is our master. Let's take a leaf out of his book too and see what we can do. So back to us. Do you have a heart of compassion for the people around you? Do I have a heart of compassion for the people around me? Can you recall the last time you had compassion for the people in this area? I'm thinking primarily of the, the people who have nothing wrong with them. They've, they've got it all together. You know those people who are driving the Mercedes cars, the, the big black ones and the, uh, the Ferraris and all that kind of thing? Do you have compassion for them? Do you have compassion for the beautiful people, the clever people, the people um, who have it all together? It's not easy to have compassion for people like that. It's, more, it's easier to have compassion for the poor. It's easier to have compassion for the broken, the weak, the ugly. Not that there is such a thing as an ugly person. It's just what people perceive. Do we have a heart of compassion for those people? If we don't, let's ask the Lord to give us a heart of compassion for them as well. There's an interesting question here that Jesus asks his disciples. And, and some people may say it's even redundant, but it's not. How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Do you think Jesus asked that question to see if he could get enough? <laughs> oh, no, absolutely not. Um, I don't think 770 loaves would have been enough. Maybe 7,770 might have done it. Jesus wasn't looking for a number to make up a quota whereby he could then do something. I think primarily he was looking for a number that was symbolic, yes, the number seven, completion. But Jesus could have done this miracle with far less. In fact, the one who called everything into being by the power of his mouth, the word of his mouth, could easily have brought bread, not even out of thin air because air is something. He could have brought it out of nothing. 
But he he wanted something from someone to start off to seed this miracle. He wanted something from someone, just a little something. Why does he why does he want that? I think he wants that because he wants us to be his co-workers. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, for we are God's fellow workers. Can you imagine the uh, joy of the people who gave that bread after they saw what happened to it? I could imagine they weren't too joyful when they were asked for it. But after all was said and done, after they'd taken that faith step, can you imagine the joy of having participated in a miracle of Jesus. There's an old song that uh, we used to sing um, back where I come from, Little is Much When God is in It. And uh, way back in 2008, I think it was, when I worked with Operation Mobilization, um, the leader there decided to set up a fund called, or a trust called Loaves and Fishes. And the idea of that was that you could um, get a little uh, money together and it would become a lot, and it would keep giving. Put it in a trust, and it would keep giving and giving and giving. And um, that is coming from the whole idea here in the lo- with the loaves and the fishes, that Jesus took a little, a very, very little amount of bread and fish and fed 4,000 people on this occasion. And that speaks of the gospel. Just a little becoming uh, much. Just a little to kickstart a miracle. That's what Jesus was looking for. Can you imagine what those miracles looked like, particularly the feeding ones, in the eyes of skeptics when Jesus would stand up there with those um, five loaves, first of all, then those seven loaves, and bless them? You know, that would have looked completely childish, completely comical, laughable. But they wouldn't have been laughing after those baskets of remainders were gathered up. How many loaves do you have? How many loaves do you have? What little do you have that you can give to Jesus? We were singing about it, you can have it all, Lord. In reality, our all is very little. But how much do we want to hold on to it? Those people who give up their lunch I can imagine the battle that was going on in their mind. Uh, I'm going to go hungry here, possibly. Oh, well, here it goes. What have I got to lose? I can't get much more hungry than I am. Um, and they give it up to the master. And what a wonderful, wonderful reward they had when they did that. You see, they give up what they needed so that others could have what they needed. And when Jesus asked us to give up stuff, we can protest, but I need it. You know, as, how many of us have gone through that? Uh, but I need it. These people could have said that and probably did, but they relented and gave it up. Is the Lord asking you to give up something which you think you need, um, to give it to someone or to him? Well, listen to him. Another wonderful privilege, uh, principle that I see in this passage is that the blessings that Jesus give or gives are meant to be shared. It says here in verse 6, when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they did so. Jesus' bread is meant to be shared. It's not meant to be hoarded like a squirrel 
but it's meant to be given away. Can you just imagine? I want you to imagine a scenario. You're here. You're part of the 4,000, okay? Jesus is up here. His disciples have brought him the bread. Jesus gives thanks for the bread, and then he gives it to his disciples. I don't know how you divide seven loaves into 12 people, but he must have done it some way. And uh, then the disciples just stand there, you know, one minute, standing there with the bread in their hands. Two minutes, standing there with the bread in their hands. And the hungry people are looking on and thinking, what's going on here? What's the hold up? Five minutes, still standing there. The wind is blowing in their hair. Their, their long flowing robes are blowing and they're just holding the bread. And you can smell the bread. And you know what happens when you smell bread in the morning? Yeah, these people are hungry. Ten minutes, an hour is standing there with the bread. Two hours. Now you're getting really angry. What are you thinking in your mind to say to those disciples? What are you thinking to say to them? Have you got a question for them? Are you a little angry about this holdup? What if they stood there for a whole day, two days, a week? Well, the bread's dry, stale, the people are gone, Jesus will be gone, and they're still standing there. Do you remember that the bread represents the gospel? Uh, uh, we're the disciples. Jesus has given us the bread, he's blessed it. Are we standing there with it while the crowd is going hungry? How long have we been standing there? When was the last time we passed out a piece of bread? When was the last time we passed out the gospel? Can I ask that to us? Are we distributing the bread? Can you feel that the sense of anger against the disciples for not distributing the material bread? Can you uh, allow that same sense of anger to come against you if you're not distributing the spiritual bread? I'm applying this to myself as well. Do I distribute the spiritual bread, the bread that Jesus has blessed. It says here that he gave the loaves or the, the, the bread to the disciples to set before the people. What a phrase. From, from the preacher to the youngest person here today, I want us to ask the question, am I setting the bread before the people? Think about it. Take that question home. That's another one to take home. Have I got compassion for people? Am I setting the bread before the people? I know there are people um, who are, you know, they're incurable evangelists. Every week they're out there with the bread. Am I, are you? Another question that came to my mind while we were doing this is, um, do you think that the bread multiplied in Jesus' hands or did it multiply in the hands of the disciples or did it multiply in the hands of the receivers of the bread? Have you ever thought about that? I thought about it only multiplying in the hands of Jesus. If that were the case, within a very short time he'd been buried in it and they'd been digging him out of the bread. If it were only in the hands of the disciples, the same thing might have happened. But what if it multiplied all the way along? You remember, just imagine you're in the crowd. You've already thought about yourself being in the crowd. The bread is set before you in your little group. You go and take a piece of bread and you eat it. And you're sitting looking around and there it is again in your hand. I thought I ate that. Have you ever done that for real? 
I thought I ate that. Or where did my cake go? And someone says, you ate it. Oh, no. You know, imagine, I believe that that bread multiplied the whole way along the chain of distributor and consumer. And that's the way the gospel is. The gospel is like that too. Paul says in First Colossians chapter 1, verse 6, all over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it had been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. The gospel has been multiplying. Uh, we know that because we're sitting here today. All the way, all the way along the line, over 2,000 years and probably 15,000 kilometers, the gospel has multiplied and multiplied and multiplied until it arrived in Eltham in an unbroken chain of evangelism and receiving of the gospel. Just imagine if that chain had been broken, we wouldn't be here. And yet we're still part of that chain to reach out to somebody else who won't be there if we don't reach out to them. You know, it's so important that we keep this thing going. I believe that the, the gospel multiplies in the hands of the ones who distribute it and the ones who receive it. From Jesus to the disciples to the next generation, the next generation, and the next generation right down to us. And if you receive Jesus today as your Lord and Savior, you will also see that gospel multiplying in you. What a wonderful concept. There's another wonderful thing that we need to take note of here in verse 8. When Jesus provides something, it satisfies. When Jesus provides something, it satisfies. Verse 8 says, the people ate and were satisfied. I love that phrase. The gospel is really the only thing that can truly satisfy a human because it is the answer to all the things that sin took away in the fall. When Jesus gives a gift, he gives it ideally suited to the one who will receive it. Now, some of you have been gifted with the gift of gift giving. What do you think of that? You've been gifted with the gift of gift giving. I haven't. And you heard a, a raucous, <laughs> some raucous behavior from the front row. Mm. Well, I have a little bit of a phobia about gift giving. And just so as if you're into phobias, it's called Doronaphobia. And if you've been to Greece, to give out Bibles, you will know what Doro means. Anybody, any Greek person here want to tell me what Doro means? Who says, Bula, what is it? It's a present, that's right, it's a gift. So Doronophobia is the fear of giving gifts, and I have that. And, um, but Jesus doesn't have that. He is a wonderful gift giver. He gives the gospel to us, and it satisfies. It, is, it just hits the spot. It's just the most wonderful thing that a human can have. And Jesus' blessings keep on giving. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. They were blessed by the master's hand. And they not only multiplied, as I said, in Jesus' hands and in the hands of the, the disciples, but they multiplied in the hands of those who received it. And there were seven baskets left over. And in one of the stories, Jesus says, gather it up so that none is wasted. Jesus' gifts are not to be wasted. The gospel is not to be wasted. 
Jesus' gifts just keep on multiplying. And um, what a wonderful, wonderful picture of the gospel, being bread for us who are hungry, being something that satisfies, something that we need to set before the people and pass around. It's a wonderful, wonderful picture. But our story today ends on a sour note with the resistance of the Pharisees. Verse 11 says, the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. Oh my goodness, a sign from heaven. Didn't they just have one? The most amazing sign, you know, 4,000 people being fed from seven loaves and a few fish. They had the audacity to ask for a sign. That is just uh, unbelievably unbelieving. It's ridiculous. But we must be careful not to be like the Pharisees. Always asking for a sign after sign after sign after sign. When we've received signs, we've received, if we're a believer, we've received a sign of uh, transformation of character, of, of forgiveness of sins, and uh, many more wonderful spiritual gifts. Let's not be like the Pharisees who, having received the most amazing, blatant evidence of the kingdom of God, still wanted more. What Jesus gave should have satisfied. Now, set it before the people. But ask for that heart of compassion if you don't already have it, and he will give it to you. He will break, you know, there's a song, Break My Heart for What Breaks Yours. Um, may the Lord do that for all of us and give us that compassion that allows us to see people in dire straits, allows us to see that there but for the grace of God go we and never allows us to get haughty or proud about being a Christian or being better than someone else because we're not. Don't stand in front of Jesus holding the bread while many go hungry. Let's pray as the band comes. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for those wonderful men whom you charged by the Holy Spirit to write an account of your life. We want to thank you, Lord, for instructing them as to what to include, what not to include. And we thank you that Mark included for us these two examples of you feeding many, many, many people. We thank you that it's speaking to us of the gospel which saves us from our sin, which builds the kingdom of God in us and through us. And we ask you, Lord, that the bread of the gospel will continue to give and give and give as we distribute it. May we see people saved and sanctified. May we see people delivered from evil spirits and oppression. May we see people healed from illnesses that are binding them, things that have come upon them uh, through their lives. We ask you that you will give us compassion for the people around us, not just the poor, but maybe especially the poor. We ask you to give us compassion for the rich, for they are also needy and like sheep without a shepherd. And we pray that we will become more and more renowned for the wonderful works that we do in the name of the Lord Jesus in this area and also for the number of people who are finding salvation through Jesus. Amen.